Um, so if you guys like to uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, we will be there again tonight. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, same section we've been in the last couple weeks, uh, verses 8 and following. As you are uh, turning there, let me just open us in a brief word of prayer. Father, we thank you uh, tonight for the opportunity to gather uh, in an uh, air-conditioned building uh, with a beautiful day uh, of creation to enjoy, uh, the fellowship we get to enjoy together. Um, Lord, just all the blessings that we have in our life from you. Uh, we recognize this uh, opportunity now to study your word uh, as an opportunity to apply our minds uh, away from maybe the, the distractions of the week, um, to hear your voice, uh, to have you speak to us by your spirit, uh, and that we would uh, be given your grace to uh, cast off distractions uh, and, and focus on, on your word uh, tonight. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, we will be uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, once again, beginning uh, in that same section, verses 8 to 15. But this week, uh, for the sake of focusing on the verses we'll be looking at, um, I'll just be reading from verses 11 and following, uh, 11 through 12, because that's what we're going to be discussing tonight. Paul writes, Let a woman learn in quietness with complete deference. Now I am not permitting a woman to teach or to dominate a man, but rather to engage in quietness. Now this, uh, once again, is one of those uh, varied translations. I remember I, I referenced if you're ever studying the text with various uh, vocabulary difficulties that are going on and you don't have access to Greek uh, or Hebrew if you're in the Old Testament, one of the best things you can do is grab a bunch of different English translations and compare them. And so throughout this week, we've been, or throughout the last couple of weeks, we've been reading out of various English translations uh, rendered from different authors and different uh, translations, just so we can kind of get a sense of what's at stake in the text on the ground. Uh, and these verses, uh, this week, we're going to be focusing specifically on the question of what does it mean to teach, and how does that relate to what we kind of talked about last week with the exercise of authority. So remember last week, just a brief recap, uh, we asked the question, what does Paul mean with uh, when he says he does not permit a woman to exercise authority? We kind of skipped forward. And we proposed two, two options. One option is what, what Paul means is that women aren't allowed to domineer over men, meaning they're not to exercise an unrighteous kind of authority over men. So women aren't allowed to uh, be unrighteously authoritative like a, a dictator would be over other people, right? So an unjust kind of authority. We consider that. Uh, the other solution, the other option is that what Paul is talking about here is a rightly exercised authority uh, that women are not, not allowed to have over men, but that men possibly could have over women, uh, such as a headship or a leadership kind of authority. So those are the two considerations on the table. Obviously, last week I uh, mentioned I, I lean towards the latter. I think that's the better understanding of the text. But we're, as we're resolving the questions in 1 Timothy 2, we're kind of keeping all of those data points kind of within eyesight. So as we build up the, the various data points, we can bring them all along as we try to resolve kind of the issues on the ground. So keeping that in mind... This week, we're going to be asking specifically the question, what does Paul mean when he says uh, he does not allow women to teach? Uh, and then we're going to ask the question, how does that relate to the exercise of authority? So these kind of two questions we have to resolve. And this is in keeping with the questions I asked the first week we engaged in the study. Uh, I'll just remind you of those questions. Um, question six, I asked, what is teaching? What does Paul mean when he says teaching? And question seven, what do, does the term teaching, does that action activity, does that change from culture to culture? So how, how would that term have been understood in Ephesus? How would that term be understood in the 1500s? How would that term be understood 
today in the Western church? So we have to ask both those questions if we're to understand these verses. And uh, so here's my uh, thesis, uh, and I'll try to explain it as we go through these, these verses. Uh, my main contention is that there's teaching and then there's teaching, and uh, it depends what Paul is talking about in context, what he's referencing here. Uh, the reason I say that is because while Paul says here, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, uh, elsewhere, Paul says uh, the older women are to teach the younger women, or uh, women are to teach their children, or all parents in Deuteronomy are commanded to instruct their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So uh, there's teaching, and teaching is, let's say, a verb or descriptor of some activity and then we have to ask the question, well, how does, how, what's the difference between teaching that all can do and teaching that Paul here prohibits or says is off limits? What is that kind of teaching? And uh, you might consider also the example of uh, Apollos, who is a teacher in the early church in the book of Acts, uh, a, a wonderful teacher who teaches incorrectly on the issue of baptism because he only knows the baptism of John. And Prisca and Aquila pull him aside and say, and instruct him more accurately in the ways of the Lord. So Prisca is a female. She comes to Apollos with her husband and instructs him, uh, or you might say she teaches him. And so the question is, is Paul contradicting what Luke records in Acts and saying that was an inappropriate use of uh, teaching? Or does he mean something different when he says teaching here in, in these verses? Um, and you can also, let's say, if you want to dwell on the idea a little bit, um, we can ask the question, how does this relate to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11? when he says uh, women, uh, when they pray or prophesy or to do so with their heads covered or uncovered, because these are actually, they don't seem related, but they're actually very related texts and how you understand them. So that's my thesis. There's teaching and then there's teaching. And so uh, when we try to understand these verses, uh, particularly when Paul says he does not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, the object of the teaching is part of the uh, definition of what Paul's introducing as what is right or wrong teaching. So the object of the teaching in some of the other instances that I've mentioned, uh, you can think of Titus 2, where women are instructed to teach younger women, the older women are to teach the younger women. The object of who is being taught is part of what it means to teach. Part of what it means to teach in a right way for women would, would involve not teaching in the way Paul talks about here over men. But that doesn't quite resolve the issue of, well, what happened in the Prisca and uh, Apollo situation where she gives instruction to him. And that's where we have to understand that teaching is not just the object, who is being taught, but we might also say how they are being taught. One thing you can think about here, Paul's use of the term teaching, uh, he's, he's used it before in terms of the false teachers, those who instruct falsely within the church. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, he, he actually says to Timothy, your job, Timothy, is to teach the word in season and out of season. So I think Paul is providing for us what I would call a working definition of the term teaching. And that is not a broad scope assessment, meaning uh, women can never give any kind of theological or doctrinal instruction to men ever. Uh, meaning, you know, as soon as a guy hits the age of 18, now women are no longer a source of theological learning or instruction. I don't think that's what Paul has in view here. I think a, a better way to understand it is that what Paul is talking about here with teaching might be more appropriately understood in our context uh, with a term that we would call preaching. So teaching in such a way that is exercising authority in the congregation or within the church. Now hold that as an idea, because I haven't defended that yet. I'm just uh, kind of telling you where my thinking's going on this. Because Paul prohibits teaching here for women, particularly he prohibits a kind of teaching over men. 
And then he links that understanding of teaching with the exercise of authority. You see the, the kind of twofold instruction. I do not permit anyone to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now, uh, if you were to do what I've uh, encouraged you to do and you pick up a random translation and you read this text in other translations, some translations would, would render it more like this. Uh, I do not permit a woman to give instruction in such a way that exercises authority over a man or in an authoritative way over a man. Now there's debate by translators and many scholars would disagree on the exact way to render this, but there's basically two options. Either teaching and authority are two distinct things. Women can't teach or exercise authority over men, or they are one idea, teaching in an authoritative way over men. So it's either one prohibition or two prohibitions. In either case, they have very much a similar kind of practical effect on the ground, um, because if he says no teaching, uh, obviously he doesn't mean in every single instance and circumstance. You can see the Apollos uh, instance. Um, or uh, he's talking about authoritative teaching, which I think is probably the better understanding of the text, although I'm, uh, I, I hold the right to change my mind on that in like 10 years uh, if, I, if, I, <laughs> if I think differently. So. But uh, either way you land, uh, I think what Paul's getting at is women are not allowed a certain kind of teaching authority over men uh, or a certain kind of teaching responsibility towards men. And it's the kind of teaching responsibility that Paul charges Timothy to exercise in the church. And remember, Timothy is the pastor of this church. He's being charged by Paul to guard the doctrinal foundation of the church by uh, limiting against false teachers. And he's called to instruct the church rightly, preaching the word in season and out of season, rebuking, reproving, and exhorting, and training men for righteousness. And so I think that's what Paul has in mind when he says teaching. And so then we would say that the most natural analog or translation in our context would more, more, more appropriately be understood as the term preaching. Okay? And now we can ask the question, what's the difference exactly between teaching and preaching? Is there a difference? Now, if you were to read a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, expositor from the uh, 20th century uh, uh, during World War II uh, in, in the UK, uh, he would say uh, something effective. Uh, what preaching, the difference between preaching and teaching, if you have to ask that question, it probably means you've never heard preaching before. Because there's a difference between preaching and teaching, and it's, it's more of a, let's say, a felt difference than a clear black and white line difference, right? Let's say uh, if, you're, if someone is speaking in front of someone else, uh, there's a certain line in which that speaking becomes authoritative, more on the preaching end of things, uh, versus just instructional, more on the teaching end of things. Uh, we, we might say it this way. Uh, there's not really a, a good definition like a word count or certain verbs that are used or a certain context and setting where it automatically flips from teaching into preaching. They're a little bit more fuzzy in the definitions. And so then uh, we get to a very practical problem on the ground, which is whatever Paul's prohibiting here, the teaching of a certain kind, well, that has to be worked out practically in the authority of the church, meaning uh, churches who all agree on the thrust of this text, Paul's prohibiting some kind of teaching that's still an abiding consideration today, uh, churches will work that out differently in their context. Uh, for instance, uh, does that mean women are never allowed to speak in the, in the gathered assembly congregation on a Sunday? Does that always count as a preaching kind of authority or not? Or uh, is, is preaching only on Sunday mornings in the gathered worship service, or we would say Sunday evenings here as a church? Or can you preach, let's say, on a Thursday night? Is that preaching or is that teaching? Wh which of those two does it fall into? Or you could ask it a different way, uh, which will be the question you, kind of, you discuss in your breakout groups. Um, 
Sunday school, something that's more usually theologically informative, a little bit less worship service oriented, more instruction based. Is that always teaching in an authoritative sense or is that sometimes teaching only in the instructional sense? Maybe to give you an example of, of one way you might work this out, John MacArthur is a, a well-known Bible teacher, well-known scholar, has a very clearly defined position on these verses. He would say, women are not, not allowed to preach in the gathered worship assembly on a Sunday. Women are not allowed to teach towards men uh, in, a, in a mixed assembly. And yet in, uh, I believe it was 2012, at his Strange Fire conference, he actually had Joni Erickson Tata deliver two of the various messages to a mixed multitude of, of people at, not at a Sunday gathering, a midweek kind of gathering, but nevertheless to a mixed congregation in which she exhorted uh, the congregation to hold fast, to endure suffering faithfully, and to persevere trusting in the Lord's faithfulness unto the end. Now, John MacArthur, there's probably no, he would say there's no inconsistency in those two things that he did, but it begs the question, how does the word teaching or preaching get kind of worked out practically on the ground in various church settings? So that's something we have to wrestle with here. I would propose maybe one consideration in this is that when Paul says teaching, he means preaching. And when he says preaching, the churches have to probably clearly understand or try to clearly protect that as an authoritative instruction given by qualified men to the local church. And then we would have to say, when does that take place? How is that teaching authority exercised? And most practically, probably in the Western church, that would be understood as the uh, sermon given on a Sunday as a practical kind of daily or weekly driver of teaching. And then we would say, but we would want to hold with an open hand every other manifestation of discipleship that a church might give to its members, right? For instance, uh, when we do uh, a discipleship night uh, as a church, not all of those sessions are preaching. A lot of those fall more into a teaching kind of category, which would open it up in a Christian liberty sense. If another church were to do a discipleship night, uh, and they would have a woman give instruction, uh, it would not be, uh, we could point to this chapter or verse in the text and say, therefore they're in violation of 1 Timothy 2, because that might be within the realm of Christian liberty to decide what is teaching and what is teaching. Does that make sense? Now recognize that these uh, things might be, you might be floating in your head and saying, well, what's the difference? Or what's the point of even making a distinction if it's hard to define? I think the reason we still have to make a distinction is because Paul seems pretty bent on making a distinction and he seems to do so not based on some local cultural consideration, but more so based on a creation order argument. Now, this is something I'll flush out more next week in our time together. But uh, one, of the, one of the ways that people try to say that, that what Paul gives instruction for here is not relevant for the church anymore is by giving this kind of scenario. I'll, let me play it out for you. Uh, Ephesus is the center of uh, the worship of the god, goddess Athena. It's actually the, the temple of... Um, or I'm sorry, the temple of Artemis, or Athena, is, is the like, primary worship center in Ephesus. So this goddess is worship, and what's interesting about the worship of this goddess is it's an all-female cult worship, meaning it's a female hierarchy, it's female priestesses, it's, all, it's, it's kind of like a matriarchy system of worship. And so the, the way it goes is, well, when Paul converts Christians in Ephesus, he, when, he, when they convert to Christianity, his concern is that they're importing some of their Athenian worship over into Christian worship, and therefore he gives the direction. I, what I'm not saying here by saying, that, uh, by saying that women are to be learners is that they should be in the same way that in the Athenian temple they are the domineering force of authority in the church, but rather that they should be, like the men, disciples, but the ultimate elder responsibility authority in the church goes towards men. So Paul is drawing a distinction, 
and, but limiting it into the Athenian temple worship cult culture. And then that would lead us to conclude, well, in a Western church context where we don't struggle with Athenian temple worship, I trust, then these commands don't have much more abiding relevance for us today. But I think that's, it's hard, that's a hard uh, plane to land, particularly because in the very next verse, verse 13, uh, he begins an argument from creation. Uh, For Adam was formed first and then Eve. Uh, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a sinner. So he, he puts this in kind of a creation order argument, which leads us to believe if he, if he gave us any reason to say this is culturally limited to Ephesus in the first century, he would have given some other indication. Oh, because of Athenian temple worship is why I'm giving this instruction. Or uh, because of some other thing on the ground, that's why I'm giving instruction. It's not that the women are unlearned or that the women are part of the Artemis, or, or sorry, Athena cult, but rather it is because uh, women are different from men, not less significant, not, not inferior to men, but different in their calling, role, and responsibility to serve in the local church. And then we have one more kind of issue to resolve, and it's not really an issue in 1 Timothy, but it's an issue of what we would say is the consistency of the New Testament witness on these texts. And that's when I said, I mentioned to you uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, uh, verses 1 through 16, or 2 through 16. Uh, in, in those verses, Paul essentially says, it's, it's a complex set of verses, much like these ones are, but Paul essentially says, uh, every woman, when she prays or prophesies, should do so with her head covered. Uh, she should not do so with her head uncovered, because to do so would be disorderly or out of order. And what's interesting about that context is Paul is assuming that women will pray and prophesy, but they should do so in an orderly sense. Now, prophecy, particularly as Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians, is probably best understood as much like we would understand teaching or giving instruction. Uh, Prayer is from man to God as an intercession work in 1 Corinthians. And prophecy is giving instruction men to men, or let's say human to human, revelation and clarity about God, such that uh, prophecy is revelatory, but but more in a exhortational kind of way. So there's a way in which women can prophesy, which is what Paul would say is an appropriate way to prophesy. Uh, It's a prophecy with their head covered. Now, I'm not going to get into the issue of head coverings right now, but I think what Paul's getting at there and what Paul's getting at here is actually pretty easy to reconcile, which is to say it this way. uh, There's teaching and there's teaching. There's appropriate times of prophecy and there's inappropriate ways to prophesy. And women are allowed to teach but not in a preaching authority way in the gathered congregation of the church, or maybe I could say it in the first Corinthian sense, women are allowed to prophesy, but only in a way that acknowledges that they are in the submitted authority to the, uh, they're they're in their proper place, in their proper complementarian role within the gathered assembly of the church. So that that then if if those two are to be understood as, uh, let's say, mutually intelligible texts, texts that help us to resolve one another, what Paul is not saying is he's not saying women cannot give instruction to men. What he's saying is there's certain contexts in which women are not allowed to give instruction to men, and it's defined here uh, in 1 Timothy 2 as what we would say is, let's say, preaching authority exercised by an elder within the church. Uh, to preach, to give instruction, to rule, uh, to, to, to wield authority, that is, a way, that is a role that is off limits for women in an appropriately ordered church. But women are commanded in other places to teach and to give instruction, and we might say to disciple uh, their children, 
and other younger women, and it would seem, uh, at least in the context of Apollos, in certain contexts outside of the gathered congregation of the church, to young men as well, in the case of Apollos. So teaching is not a broad sense prohibition women can never give instruction. It's a, it's a more limited sense within the context of, of 1 Timothy 2. So, so then what Paul is giving us here is guidelines once again for the worshiped gathered assembly of the church, not guidelines for the broad stroke uh, rules and prohibitions for all of Christian life. Uh, maybe to anchor this in his main argument in these verses, uh, women are equal disciples with men. They are to learn with the men. But that learning doesn't mean that every role or instructional capacity in the church is in the same way open to women, being clarified here. And as he will instruct in uh, 2 Timothy and in Titus, but that doesn't mean women are off the hook from their discipleship responsibilities towards those who they are called to disciple. So women cannot preach, women cannot teach in in this sense, uh, but women are called to teach the next generation of those who will be called to teach and to preach. Uh, Maybe you could even look at the example of Timothy. Um, He is called to teach and to preach in the local church in Ephesus. And when Paul reflects on Timothy's coming to faith, uh, Paul doesn't anchor that in any male in Timothy's life, but he actually anchors it in his grandmother and in his mother who passed on the faith to Timothy. So were it not for faithful women giving correct instruction and discipleship to Timothy, uh, Paul would have no letter to write in 1 Timothy and, and 2 Timothy that uh, the teaching of women is actually essential, uh, we would say, to the teaching of Timothy, or the teaching of Timothy is formed and shaped and uh, burst out of the soil of being discipled faithfully by women in his life. Uh, we might even say it this way, when Apollos is, uh, in 1 Corinthians, considered a stumbling block for some because he's such a good instructor in the church, uh, he's even put on level with uh, Paul and with uh, Peter, uh, that would never have taken place were it not for Prisca and Aquila who, pulls him, who pull him aside and give him correct doctrinal instruction. So therefore, uh, very practically, women can instruct men in certain contexts, in, in rightly ordered ways, maybe uh, I could say it, in a, in a culturally relevant way with their head covered, in a way that acknowledges they are not men. But they are not called to teach in the way that Timothy is called to teach in terms of preaching authority. They are not called to preach in such a way or teach in such a way that exercises authority over the gathered assembly, the congregation. That is something that is limited to male authority. And that's rooted in creation, which we'll talk about more next week. And ultimately, that's rooted in the role that Timothy is called to, uh, which would be the role of an elder or a bishop, the one who is called to the task of giving instruction and guarding the doctrine of the church. And that is fleshed out more uh, succinctly in 1 Timothy 3 uh, and following. Uh, I I recognize that in, you know, 25 minutes, we can't resolve every textual issue, every tension in these verses. Uh, But hopefully I've given you enough at least to have fruitful discussion uh, and maybe a lot of fruitful questions and dialogue after this. Um, So let me, with that, close us in a word of prayer. If you guys have questions for me at that point, we can uh, continue our discussion. Lord, I thank you uh, for these words. Uh, We know that they are difficult. Lord, we confess that they are um, very counter to how we understand men and women today. And yet, Lord, we trust that your instructions are are right. Uh, They are good. Uh, They are life-giving. And we recognize no matter what our culture says, uh, no matter how we personally feel, uh, we are called into submission to your word uh, and all that it uh, gives to us. Uh, We pray, Lord, for your guidance uh, by your grace as we even continue in discussion tonight. Uh, You give us uh, wisdom, uh, patience, care as we deal with these matters. 
um, and you would help us to better understand you, ultimately better to see you, uh, and therefore better to serve you uh, as your followers. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Yes. Do you sense in looking at the 